hands for me. Hey, can you welcome all the other campuses, those that are joining us online, the men and women at our Guy Behind Bars campus. We love you guys. We love you. Hug somebody's neck real quick, real quick. Oh, my goodness. That was good. My name is Eric. I work here. It's nice to see you guys. You know, um, I, I want to make sure I make this really clear. Like, if this is your first time you've been here at any of our campuses, if you've walked in, and I know, like, the first time you show up at church, sometimes there's some preconceived ideas about what you're in for. So let me be really clear about what you're in for. Like, if, if you thought this was one of those places where a bunch of really smart people come and we have it all figured out and then we get together to sort of help figure it out, you know, like we just tell each other how to get it all figured out because we got it figured out, you're in the wrong place, right? Because here's the truth. We here in all of our campuses, we're a bunch of imperfect people who know this, that there is a God who loves us, who has redeemed us and has a purpose and a destiny for us and we're gonna go get that, right? That's what we know. He's perfect. He's got a plan. I want to find it. Anybody else for that? So that's what we do. That's what we're doing. And we're glad if you're here. Hey, welcome home. You're right. You are, you are in a good place. And I think you're in a good place because we're in the middle of a series that we started last week called Elements. Now, we're looking at these earthly elements, right? Like water and fire and earth and wind sort of the, these foundational building blocks. And, and we're relating them back to these stories in scripture and, and beginning to look at, well, what are the foundational building blocks of our faith? Like that stuff that we cannot live without. That if we miss, we miss what God has for us. And so last week, Ronnie taught us and he taught through water. And it was funny because someone commented like, I thought, I thought we were talking about water. And I'm like, dude, it was Jonah and the whale. It was water. So let me make it real clear. I'm talking about fire. We're talking about fire. Um, now listen, um, let me ask you a question. Let me ask you a question. How many, so, so those of you that are joining us online, um, you may not know this, we're a church in Colorado. Um, now we have also a campus in Brussels, Belgium. We have a campus in Austin. But a bunch of us are right here in Colorado. So let me ask this question. How many people here, and any of our campuses, by a show of hands, have ever been camping in their life. Camping. Look at that. That's Colorado there. Bunch of campers. Okay. Now, what's the best part of going camping? It's the fire, isn't it? Now, my wife would say it's the hotel that's right next to the campgrounds because she ain't staying in a tent. <laughs> um, it's building a fire, right? Like, you build the campfire. In fact, last year... Um, it was me and a friend and our oldest boys, we went out camping. We went up to Teal Lake, and um, it was awesome. It was like three hours up, past Kremlin, and um, it was great because there was no cell signal, and let me tell you like, what magic happened around a fire. Like, We built this fire that lasted for two days, and at night, me and my son, we talked around a fire. You tell me fire doesn't make miracles, I'll tell you, you're wrong. My 16-year-old had a conversation for two hours with me around fire. So, look, this is what fire, it's mesmerizing at times, isn't it? Like, fire can be, like, amazing and warm and captivating. But fire also can be terrifying. In fact, oftentimes when we describe, like, 
tough times in our lives, right? When we talk about those trials in our lives, don't we use language around like heat and fire? The idea that oftentimes we're tested in fire. And so I thought, now wouldn't it be great if just for a few minutes we talk about what do we do when we find ourselves in the fire of life? Because here's what we know. Here's what you have to know. Like if you are under the impression that if you follow Jesus, then everything works out perfectly and you never have problems and you never have trouble, I gotta let you in on just one thing. This is the way that Jesus said it. He says, I have told you these things so that you may have peace in this world. Listen, you will have trouble. Ladies and gentlemen, we all, we all, We'll find ourselves at moments in life facing the fires of life, and the question is, what do we do? God, I ask you, will you speak through me this day? Will you illuminate your word? Help us. Some of us walked in and we're hanging by a thread. Help us see how to navigate trials. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have your Bible with you, we're going to be camping out in the Old Testament today, okay? So we're going Old Testament today. We're going back to Daniel. Now, if, if you don't know much about the Bible, like if you like split it in half and then go to your left, you can just sort of thumb through. You'll find Daniel probably about halfway through that, all right? We're gonna be sticking in Daniel. We're gonna be looking at chapter three in Daniel, and we're gonna be looking at a story that if you grew up in Sunday school, you know the story, like you, how many of you remember flannel graphs, right? That's gonna date some of us, right? They would stick the stories. Well, this was one of the stories on the flannel graph. It was Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and the fiery furnace. So we're gonna be looking at chapter three at these three young guys, and we're gonna start with scripture. Let me set it up. Chapter three, verse one, it says this. King Nebuchadnezzar, he made an image of gold, 60 cubits high, 60 cubits wide, and he set it up on the plain of Dora in the province of Babylon. He then summoned his satraps, his prefects, his governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials to come to the dedication of the image he had set up. Now, let me give you a little bit of background because I think context on this story is really important. This story happens about 600 years before Jesus' time. And King Nebuchadnezzar was the king of Babylon. Now, Babylon had overrun Jerusalem. They whooped um, the Israelites. And what they did is, is they took over Jerusalem. They enslaved all of the Israelites. And then Nebuchadnezzar had a genius idea. He said, well, let's not let a good thing go to waste. Why don't we find the smartest of the bunch, the smartest of the Jews? Let's bring them back with us and let's put them to work. So what they did is they brought some of the smartest of the Israelites, back with them to Babylon, and they put them into service around the kingdom, the smart ones, the really, really bright ones. Well, there were three, there were actually four that Daniel highlights, four young guys who fit this bill. Their names were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Now, when they got into captivity, they didn't like that they had Jewish names. So they changed these boys' names. Daniel became Belshazzar, and then it was Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. This is these four boys' names. Now, Daniel, Belshazzar, 
he kind of rises to prominence because he's the only one in the group. You'll find this in the first two chapters. He's the only one that can tell what Nebuchadnezzar's dreams mean. And so overnight, this obscure kid whose land has been dominated, who's been brought into captivity, finds himself standing next to the king as one of his most trusted advisors. Well, see, he remembered there were these three other kids that he came up with, right? And he he said, hey, listen, I got these three others that I want to bring in and make them advisors because they're super, super crazy smart. So overnight, these three boys, basically boys, they became, they went from, think about this, from the bottom all the way to the top. They were sitting at the king's table. Now, what this would have meant for them would mean that they had access to everything the most powerful man in the world had access to. They had access to him and his time and his wealth and his resources. Like if you were doing a story of like rags to riches, you talk about these four kids. Like they they came from a conquered land. They should be slaves. And yet they found themselves standing in the middle of like what would be crazy blessing. I imagine them looking at each other all the time because they were all buddies going, how in the world did we get here? Like, how, do we, how does this happen? Like, dude, we, get, we have the king's ear. We're like making bank. We got blessing rolling in all over the place. So this is how the story sets up. So the king decides one day that he was gonna build this idol. Now, let me tell you a little more context about the idol because I think sometimes when we think about this specific story, It's tempting to see it and go, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. They built a big metal monument, and then they worshiped it. That's super weird. But see, that that isn't what was happening here. See, what, what the king was doing was he was establishing a value, right? What the king was actually saying is, is he's saying, listen, there's a bunch of you in my kingdom now, some of which worship a different God. Let me make it really clear what we worship and what we value. Let me make, you can have a little G God. But there's no other big G gods in this kingdom. So this statue represents what we value. This is important. And if you're going to be in this kingdom, that's what you're going to value. Now, you can put anything underneath that you want. You can go to your churches and you can do your own thing. But when it comes to the most supreme value, this is our value. And everybody in this land, they're going to they're going to abide by this value. Right. I think sometimes we're really hard on Bible characters because you go, well, yeah, I mean, if someone built a monument down on bulls and said, hey, come down here and bow down to it, I wouldn't bow down to it either. But the truth is, there is a culture that exists around us and it has values and those values are values that are awfully tempting for many of us to bow down to, right? There is a culture that tells us where our purpose comes from, what we need to attain in order to have value and worth and meaning. And if, man, when I was a kid, it was one thing, but now with our phones, it's screaming at us on a consistent basis. This is what matters. This is what you have to do to matter. This is what you have to wear to matter. This is the money you have to have, right? And if you don't have these things, then you don't matter. See, just like in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's day, there are values 
that we as followers of Jesus have to decide if we're going to bend a knee to. You see, the king sets up this giant statue, says this is what we value. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego say, whoa, 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 whoa. Like, we don't value that. Like, it's cool, we're gonna serve you and we're so grateful that you've brought us into this and the blessing that's come our way, man, this is really awesome. But we gotta make it really clear, like, that's not our, our, our values. That, that's not what we value at all. Never has been. Well, as you can imagine, being three Jewish kids, three Israelites, Stuck in a kingdom of other Babylonians, there's probably plenty of Babylonians that don't like that they have the king's ear anyway, right? They don't like these guys at all because there's a lot of people that are going, I don't like what they stand for. I don't like that they have my job. Listen, listen, there were haters back in those days. They didn't like that they had blessing. They didn't like that what was coming their way. They didn't like that they were Israelites, so they were real happy. The moment they saw that those three kids are like, no, that's not my value. I can't bow to that. There were some people that came to the king. Now, the king obviously liked these three kids, obviously. But some people came to him, some haters. Verse 12 says it this way. So they came to the king and said, but there are some Jews whom, and I love it that they remind the king, that look, whom you, whom you set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, king, you did this, it was Shadrach, and it's Meshach, and Abednego, and they pay no attention to you. Let's stop there for a second. Look, I'm not particularly sympathetic of King Nebuchadnezzar, but when they said they pay no attention to you. There was something in me that sort of went, okay, I could see where he could get upset. This is a true story, true story. I walked down into my kitchen just like four days ago, and I have an 11-year-old Harry, and this happened, this happened. He was on his tablet thing, doing whatever it is he was doing, and I went, Harrison. I got within four feet of him. I went, Harry, Harry, Harrison, hey, buddy, Harry, look over here, right here, buddy, Harrison, Harry. Harry, Harry, and then on the 12th, 12th time I counted, he like came out of a fog. And he looked over and went, hey dad, where, where'd you come from? <laughs> Nothing drives me crazier than to be ignored. Anybody else, any other parents when you're like, are you serious? Could you pay attention to me? Yeah, I know lots of parents are like, oh my Lord, could we just burn all the devices? They don't pay attention to me. Nebuchadnezzar is like, I love these three kids. I've given them everything. Look at them. What, they're not paying attention to me? Wait, but they're not, they're not paying attention to what? Okay, wait, 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 okay, okay. So he gets fired up, right? And he decides he's gonna talk to him, have a little conversation. And so he brings those three in and he says, listen guys, look, 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 let's, let's, let's be honest. I'm giving you my interpretation because the Bible doesn't quite give you all of these little side conversations, but I imagine, I imagine, I'm imagining that they come in before him and he says, look, just bend a knee, guys. Look, you've been given a good life. You got it really good. Just bend a knee. Just bend a knee. Don't make trouble. This isn't that big a deal. You, you're, you're, th you're good three kids, right? You're, wh what are you going to go back to? It's not that big a deal. Just bend the knee. You know, it's no accident that in the Bible, the phrase fear not is mentioned 80 times. 
fear not, is mentioned 80 times in scripture. And I got to thinking about this idea of being scared and fearful. And you know, I thought about the root of so many bad decisions in my life, the root of it was fear, right? That I got afraid of what I might lose. I got afraid of what someone might think. I got afraid of my inability to get it done or that maybe I'm just not good enough. I just got afraid. And you know what? I got to thinking about the enemy. You know, one of the sneakiest little tactics that the enemy has in order to divert you from what God has for you is to whisper little things in your ear that just makes you a tiny bit scared, right? Put a little seed of doubt in your mind that like, you can't survive this. Like, this is gonna ruin everything. Like, all that stuff you've worked so hard for, it's gonna go away. Fear, and you start to ruminate on what might happen, what could happen. And I think so often, fear, it works so well because it does decrease our hope. Right? Fear decreases our ability to hope, to have faith, to trust. And I believe fear more times than not limits more victories than we know. Fear, simple fear. These boys were scared. The king says, You're gonna have to take a knee, boys. Because look, if you don't, if you don't adhere to these values, I gotta make an example of you, and I'm gonna kill you. Look, everything you've worked so hard for, it's gone, boys. So you better think long and hard. I don't know how long, and I don't know how hard they thought, but I love what they say. Because with like a backbone of steel, these three boys look back at their future. See, they're not just talking to a king. They're looking at what they have gotten and they're looking at what they see as their future and the blessing and they say this, they say it. They say, King Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God who we serve, they're able, he's the, able to deliver us from it and he will deliver us from your majesty's hands. But here's my favorite part. Here's my favorite part. This is conviction. They said, but even if he does not, even if he doesn't pull us out of the fire, king, we want you to know that we're not gonna serve your gods and we're not gonna worship the image you have set up. We will not bend the knee. Mm. we won't bend a knee. See, we see that and something happens in us, doesn't it? They weren't sure that this was gonna work out. See, we see the story and we know what happens, but they're standing there and the king now, do he loses it. He's like, oh, okay. Well, then let's make sure we end it for good. He looks at the, the people who are running the fire and they're like, let's make it seven times hotter. Like, a fire by itself won't kill the guys. Let's just make it seven times hotter. It's an arbitrary number. Seven times. I'm like, yes, sir. They start cooking this fire. They make it seven times hotter. It gets so hot. Here's these boys. They have a minute. You got to imagine. It's ticking through their head. They're like, we got a minute. We could reconsider. We could go back to all that we had. We could go back to our comfy palace room and all the stuff that we have. And they see the guards and they're dragging them down there. And the guards don't survive the fire. See, the guards are killed. It's so hot. And boom, they're thrown in. 
think there is, I think there is great danger to followers of Jesus Christ, to those of us that claim allegiance to him in this comfortable world that we live in. There is great danger that we become sort of under the false belief that the primary goal of our lives is to live comfortably. Because when we believe that is the primary objective of our lives, do you know what we become? We become great furnace avoiders, right? We look at ways to build walls about all the things that we have and to preserve those things. In fact, we start getting so comfortable and believing that, man, it's all about blessing and being comfortable that we become low-level flame avoiders, right? We don't wanna get near any fight or any flame or any fire. And I believe this with all my heart. There are a whole lot of destinies in Jesus who are being thwarted because we got a little bit of success in our lives and then we've spent so much time trying to manicure walls around it, protect it. See, we gotta keep it, that blessing, that stuff that came, I gotta keep it, I can't lose it. And I think a whole lot of destinies are being thwarted because we've lost our way when it comes to the reality of what Jesus has for us. See, there's a great promise in scripture. There is a great promise. There's a great promise in life with Jesus, but let me be really clear about it. The great promise, it is not prosperity. It is not blessing. It is not sickness or pain. See, that frustrates me because my father-in-law just passed four weeks ago. So don't tell me as a follower of Jesus, there isn't pain in this life. I know people in this room, in this room right now, that are fighting a battle with cancer. Don't tell me the great promise is that there won't be sickness. See, listen, in this life, Jesus says, trouble's gonna come our way. It is, it is. But you can have peace. See, if you have the wrong assumption about what a life with Jesus looks like, then when the trials come, man, talk about getting messed up, right? See, the great promise isn't these things. I was thinking about it. How, how, do, I, how do I describe this moment? Um, so I'm older. We used to have in my house a telephone that hung on the wall. Anybody remember those days? A telephone that hung on the wall. And if you were real lucky, that telephone had a really long cord on it so you could get around the corner and talk to your girlfriend in the hallway, right, or in a closet. See, that was the center of the house. That telephone hung on the wall. Well, what my mom had at the center of the house where the telephone hung was this thing, it's an ancient thing. It was before calendars that we had on you know, Palm Pilots or on an iPhone. It was an actual paper calendar, calendar. You would go and buy a calendar and stick it on the wall and then mom, I don't know, anybody else had this? She'd write things on the calendar, she'd have like shopping lists and that's where you knew everything that was happening in the family. But my mom did one thing in particular. She took a Crayola marker, and on the really, really important stuff, she would circle those dates in red. 
so that no matter what, if you were standing far away, you didn't need to know what was on that day. You just knew if it was circled in red, that was an important day. That was a do not miss day. So I got to thinking about that this week as I was preparing and spending some time with, with, with the Lord. And I'm like, look, I know God's omniscient and I know he knows everything. And I know that he doesn't have an actual calendar, but I, I imagine, you know, I wonder if in my life, I wonder if there's like this calendar that he has. This calendar where the important days in my life, he circles those with a, a, a red marker. I wonder with those three boys, if he'd had that date circled from the time they were born, from the moment he thought them up. He's like, I got that date circled. See, here's the great temptation. If you stop the story when they're thrown in the fire, isn't it tempting to think God forgot them? He didn't put out the fire. He didn't put out the fire. What, did you fall asleep? Any of you get into the fire of your life? I bet you in this room, in all of our rooms, if I said, have you ever been in a trial in your life? 10 people out of 10 go, yep, been in trials in my life, had moments in my life. And isn't it true sometimes? You get to that trial, you get to the fire, and you're like, wait, the fire's still burning. Those three boys are like, wait, God forgot. God forgot he didn't put out the fire. But see, God didn't forget. See, God had that date circled on his calendar. And it wasn't a date that was circled where he said, I'm gonna put out the fire. You know what the date was circled for? He was saying to those boys, hey, hey, chill out. I'm gonna meet you there. Don't worry, I got you. I'm gonna meet you there. I love the way... But the, that the message says this in Psalm 31. Listen, be brave, be strong, don't give up, and expect God to get there soon. See, what if, what if the trials in our life, the great promise in this life is that Jesus meets us in the fires? See, because that's a game changer. Think about this. When I was... I was I just reminded of this story when I was in fourth grade. We did this as a staff. Um, in March was my birthday. And um, the guys, they probably forgot to do a birthday card. But um, <laughs> all the guys sat around and we did like this birthday card where they told me things that they loved about me. And I didn't think I was like a words of affirmation guy. But that was super awesome. <laughs> right? And, and there were two guys who said something to me that really stuck with me. They said, Eric, you know what we love about you? is that you always fight for the oppressed. You'll go all the way around the world. You always stand up for the oppressed. And in that moment, I flashed back, literally, to fourth grade. My dad taught me a bunch of lessons growing up, right? Some of them he taught me verbally. Some of, some of them I watched him. But one of the things he told me about being a Parks, he said, son, listen. This is what you need to know. You cannot let someone be oppressed. If you see someone oppressing someone, if you see someone bullying someone, if you see someone stronger taking advantage of someone weak, if you see it, you cannot turn a blind eye to it. Do you understand? I was like, yes, dad. So fourth grade, I'm a bag of bones, right? I'm like 35th percentile, tiny little guy, skinny, you know, just tiny. Um, and um, I went to Parkview Elementary in Granite City, Illinois. And um, there was a boy there named Mike. And Mike was the opposite of me. 
He was a humanoid. He was like a year older in fifth grade, but he looked like he was a freshman in high school. He was giant. And look, I don't blame him. If you're a giant in fifth grade, you bend everyone's will to yours, right? You take their money and take the stuff in their lunch that you want, and this goes on. And smart kids like Eric avoid mics at all costs, right? You just avoid him. And I did awesome. I, if he was on one side of the playground, I was on the other. If he was doing whatever he was doing with his crew, I was behind a tree hiding. So, <laughs> and then one day, I walked around a corner, and I saw Mike and his henchmen he had two henchmen. They always come in threes. <laughs> taking food from a little girl. Maybe she was in third grade, right? And I remember what my dad said. He said, Eric, if you see it, you can't ignore it. And so with every ounce of courage that I had in my tiny little body, I walked up and went, hey, give her her lunch back. And Mike looked down at me. <laughs> He's like, what are you going to do about it? And I didn't know what I was going to do about it. <laughs> so I just said, hey, just give her her lunch back. Well, he looked back at me. And just then, the bell for recess rang. And he goes, okay, I'll tell you what, Parks. How about you and I settle this after school? You got such a big mouth. I'll meet you here 30 minutes after school. Well, I went into the class, and of course my head is in a complete buzz. Now listen, it's fourth grade, and we know it's not that big a deal, but when you're in fourth grade, this is like, I'm standing at the edge of a fiery furnace, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> so I get on my bike, and I ride back to my dad's office. He office real close to our house, and I walked in, I went, Dad, I have two things. One is... I'm going to be in a fight this afternoon because you told me I had to stand up for the oppressed. And two, it's been awesome being your son. <laughs> He's like, wait, what? I'm like, I have to go fight Mike because he was bullying a girl. And he's like, okay, so you have to do this, right? I said, yeah, I got to go do it. He said, okay, okay. So I get on my bike and I ride to Parkview Elementary. I get off my bike and I'm petrified now, I knew he was bringing two friends, so I brought two friends. Problem where they were, looked just like me, right? <laughs> so I bring my two friends, and I get up to Mike, and he said, all right, game on. And I don't know what exactly happened next. It was like a world of struggle of a fifth-grade boy and a fourth-grade boy. But somehow, whether he tripped or something, he ended up on his back, and I ended up on top of him. And for a split second, I was like, oh, my gosh. I'm winning this fight. And then I started just going, 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 going. And I, in my head, I'm like, I'm gonna save the school. They're gonna put a statue of me in the school. I'm raining down my little tiny fist. And all of a sudden, the two goons jump in on top of me, right? So now, it's a straight beat down. Now, I learned a lesson that day. You need to really consider what friends you bring to a fight. Because my two friends just stood there, you know? They're like, oh, man. They're, these guys are beating me up. Now, what happens next may be slightly dramatized for effect. <laughs> but there was a, a flash across a 200-yard field. I could see it on the bottom of the pack. I am just getting pummeled. A flash that goes across this giant 
outdoor playground and all of a sudden the two bullies come off of me in the air and then the third to the side and I look up and it's my dad, yeah? <laughs> my dad had been in the car watching and I was like, yeah, you saved me. You saved me from the fiery furnace. And my dad, I'll never forget this. He looks at the three boys and now they're backed up and he said, no, 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 no. This isn't going down like this. If you want to fight Eric, you're going to fight him one at a time. I was like, I thought you were getting me out of the fire. True story though. My dad was standing next to me. Do you know what happened to that little fourth grader? My spine stiffened and I put my fists up and I went, yeah, one at a time. <laughs> See, listen, listen. When we walk through the trials of life, this is the great promise, that in the middle of fire, there will be Jesus. See, think about this. Those three boys get thrown into the fire. They open their eyes and they think, are, are we in heaven or are we? In the middle of the fire, they see an image, a man. This, the Bible says it looks like the son of God. It's Jesus. And Jesus walks over to them. Now, this is what I love about the story. I love this about the story more than any of it. The ropes are burned off of them, right? When you and I are in trial and in fire, when Jesus frees us, what's our first instinct? Get out of the fire. What did they do? They stayed in the fire, right? Because Nebuchadnezzar saw what was happening and he gets freaked out. So I don't know how long they're in that fire together, but Nebuchadnezzar had to call him out. He's like, seriously, you have to come out of the fire. Here's what those boys learned that day. Here's what we have to remember. The safest place in the world is wherever Jesus is. If it's in the middle of your fire, if he's there, that's where I want to be. If it's in a flood, if that's where Jesus is, that's where I want to be. And I've been praying this prayer. I've been thinking about this with these boys. See, they got to a point where they looked at everything they had and they said, look, you can have it all. Because if you take Jesus from me, I don't have anything. See, when we get to a point in our lives when we go, you can have it all, you can have it all, but you cannot have Jesus. Because wherever he is, that's where I'm gonna be. It's the safest place. Listen, I don't know how many fires those boys jumped in after that day, but this I can guarantee you, they were never afraid of a fire again. And you know what I love? Is they said they didn't even smell like fire. See, sometimes we go through trials and we're like, is this gonna mark me and stain me? Listen to me. If you're in the middle of the fight of your life, Jesus is in there with you. And when this thing is over, you won't even smell like fire. You won't even smell like fire. The great promise, the great promise is that Jesus says, hey, listen, I'll meet you there. Wherever you're there is, whenever that moment comes, I will meet you there. So many of us have been trials in our lives, haven't we? So many of us have experienced a closeness we can't describe. And so I think sometimes we need to come to church to be encouraged. We need to be reminded. And then we need to make a proclamation. Because maybe some of you right now are having the best time of your life. It's been the best season of your life. Praise God. Praise God. But maybe some of you walked in here 
and your marriage is hanging by a thread, or you just got a diagnosis, or you have stage four cancer, and there's no hope, your kids are lost. Maybe your job, you just lost it. You're hanging by a thread, and you're like, this fire is going to destroy me. No, it's not. It's not. Because I know that Jesus will meet you there. That's the great promise. That's the great promise. And so this song has become so meaningful to me. This song that we sang right before the message, we're gonna sing it one more time together because I think sometimes as followers of Jesus, we need to take a moment and we need to remind ourselves, songs do a funny thing about like planting stuff in our heart, doesn't it? Like where we go, look, there was another in the fire. In fact, I think they looked back and said, I'm so glad God didn't put that fire out. I'm so glad they didn't because I met Jesus there. Don't take my fires. That's why there's a line in this song that says, we'll find joy in every battle because it is in the battle. That's where you are. Listen, if you're battling, Jesus is with you. If you're in fire, Jesus is with you. If you know somebody that's in a fire, Jesus can be with you. And listen, if you don't know Jesus, you should because he's awesome. He'll walk through this life with you. That's the great promise. So here's what I'm gonna ask us to do. Can we stand at all of our campuses and as a proclamation and a prayer, sing through this song, another in a fire together as just a proclamation that this is the truth, that there is no fire that we will ever walk through alone. Amen. Let's sing this.
Jesus 
Standing close to me 